Amen. Well, good morning, friends. We're not in a hurry this morning. Amen. It's great to be with all of you guys. And, um, you know, it's, it's great to see we actually have room in here. When there's an empty, ser- empty nester service up there, we got room in here, right? Hey, this is for all the, uh, this is all the younger people down here today. You know what I'm saying? So we're good. We're good to be together. We're continuing in our series titled Foundations. And uh, the whole focus is we're celebrating the core doctrines of our faith. And two weeks ago, Kendall Knight started us out and talking about sound doctrine and what does it mean to have a healthy teaching that we adhere to uh, that's not of this world, but that it's of God. And then Jeff last week started talking about God seeking us and us seeking God. And we're going to continue in this for the next couple months. But this is really what we're going to be going through these next couple months Um, For a lot of us, these are core tenets already, but we want to continue to set the foundation. So today, we're talking about the Word of God, Jesus, Lordship, sin, the cross of Christ, conversion, the Holy Spirit, and the body of Christ. Now, if you're new to Christianity, or maybe you've been around it most of your life, but you've never gone all in, then we hope that this series really helps you go all in. And this series really helps show you, man, what is walking with Jesus all about for you to commit to? Now, if you've been following Jesus for a while, whether it's a week or, you know, three decades, then we hope this reaffirms your faith of what you committed to to restore the joy of your salvation. But also to be able to equip you and to give you more scriptures in the scripture bank as you go out and share your faith and study the Bible with your friends or with your coworkers or your neighbors. Amen? So today we're diving into the Word of God. Now, uh, I just wanted to start out by saying, for everyone that has been following the Word of God for decades, I just want to, from the next generation, say thank you. Thank you for persevering. Thank you for not putting down the Word year after year. Thank you for deciding to not give up on your commitment to the Scriptures. The, we just had, you know, Chandler and Matthew talk about the Thrive and, and the campus. We literally stand on the shoulders of giants, of men and women that haven't given up on the Word for decades, and we applaud you for that. Thank you for not giving up. But today, what we're going to do, we're talking about the Word, and, and as I was thinking about how, like, what angle to take, what I find myself personally focusing on a lot, or when I get with my friends to help them know God, I find myself talking about perception a lot and how you perceive the Word, and what feelings and thoughts you get when you're the Word. Because have you noticed that how you perceive something or look at something changes the whole way that you interact with it? Because, because perception is everything. Y'all remember this? Y'all remember that? Like, who here sees the young girl? Who here sees the young girl in that? Who here sees the old woman? And now I'm going to just psychoanalyze y'all's answers just for a second, right? You know, I don't know if y'all remember this one, kind of throwback to the dress, right? Is it... Who here sees blue and black, right? Who here sees whatever it's not supposed to be? I don't even know the colors, right? Perception is everything. It's everything. So my question, my question for you guys is, what words or feelings come to your mind when you think of the Word of God? Like when you think of this, when you think of the Scriptures, what feelings come to mind? What, what words pop into your head? What, what, what thoughts or experiences come to your mind about this? But because how you see this and how you perceive it is going to change the whole way you let it have an effect in your life. 
If you see this first as a book of rules that was sent by an obedience tracker in heaven that has those bifocal glasses looking down on you to follow, you're going to perceive this with a lot of shame and a lot of condemnation. But if instead you see this as a book of life and of hope sent by a loving Father to guide us in a life to the full, you're going to perceive this and let it affect you completely differently. You guys following? So today, I hope to give us three focuses um, of how to perceive the Word. This is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how the Scripture is full of hope, life, and power. How it's the Word of hope, how it's the Word of life, and how it's the Word of power. So flip with me in your Bibles to Romans 14, and um, we're going to start right here with the word of hope, and talk about how the scriptures isn't supposed to bring condemnation and fear of the future, but hope for the future. I'm going to read this in Romans 14 for us, and then Toya is actually going to come up and uh, talk about this point for us. In Romans 14 verse 4, as Paul's writing to the church in Rome, he says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provided, we might have what? Hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. And Toya's going to talk more about this. Good morning, family. Um, I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to talk about this. I feel like it's a lesson that I am actively learning in my own faith and in my own walk with God. I thought I would want to share some of that with you guys. You know, this passage says that the scripture brings endurance, like it teaches endurance, that it provides encouragement. And um, I was exposed to this passage again earlier this summer in early July. And it really made me pause, like it kind of took me aback and it made me ask myself like, how am I doing at letting the scriptures do that for me? Like how am I doing at letting the scriptures give me encouragement and give me endurance? Am I, how am I doing at approaching my life with endurance and encouragement I'm getting specifically from scripture? Not endurance and encouragement I'm getting from my peers or from a TikTok video or just like the grit that I can muster up on a long day, but how am I doing at letting that come from the scriptures? And as I've been reflecting over this the last couple of months, I realize it kind of depends what lane of life I'm thinking about in that moment. Like I think about, I'm a very visual person, so follow me here. I think about my life kind of like a highway, like welcome to Atlanta, six, seven lanes and it's still backed up. So this is kind of my brain, right? So I have one lane that's my relationship with God. How, how are me and God doing? I have my marriage, I have motherhood, extended family, my finances, the well-being of the church, my friendships, like all of these are different lanes in my mind, if that makes sense. And that whole, that whole highway makes up me, right? Like how I'm doing, you might be doing great in your finances, but if your kid is struggling, like that affects you, right? And so we could all have our own version of I-75, right? Like make your own list. Some of you might have 30 lanes. I don't know what you got going on, but for me, those are like my main lanes, right? And I asked myself, how am I? You know, this scripture invites me to be curious about how I look at those lanes and specifically how I view the future of those lanes. I just want to do a little poll real quick. Raise your hand if you have ever had an entire year, 365 days, go exactly as you planned. Oh, there was a little hand over there. That's shocking. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Very rare, right? Like we can all kind of go into our year, new year, new me, everything's going to be awesome. 
And, you know, it helps me to see very few hands go up. I think I saw Jordan's hands up. I live with him. That's not the case. Like, <laughs> so, so, you know, very few hands went up. You know, our, our lives, the road, it has turns. It twists when we don't expect it. And if you've been on 285, you know potholes will wreck you, okay? And so sometimes life throws a pothole. Sometimes life happens. And in Romans 12, 12, it instructs us. It says, be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And to me, I'm like, wow, there's a posture of heart that the scripture provides me with looking forward down each of these lanes. And to be honest, this year has been full of turns and twists and pothole and pothole and pothole and pothole. Like, it has felt like, what is happening? It's one thing after another. And for those of you who don't know, we actually have a women's podcast um, here at the church. It's called The Well. Episodes drop every third mm-hmm. Friday of the month. Um, and, and last yesterday, we recorded our September episode with Susan Atkins, and we talked about valuing the uncomfortable seasons of our faith. And one thing I love about Susan in that conversation is she saturated that conversation with scripture. Like, so, like, just... Oh, like it was like the Rolodex was just flying out of scriptures. And that's how she has maintained her hope for years following Jesus. And as my life has happened, I started to realize all lanes were shutting down. Hope was like being like knocked off the rock every single time. And thankfully, I've never felt far from God in that because I deeply believe my walk with God is good because God is good, not because I'm good. Um, that God maintains proximity Amen. to me, that Amen. I don't always have all the ways to maintain to him. And there's this song, I feel like the spirit kind of just came out of nowhere recently by Maverick City. And it, it starts with saying, when did I start to forget all the great things you did? When did I throw away faith for the impossible? And I just started to ask myself, how am I reacting to the potholes in my life, whether it's the twists, the turns in my family, and my relationship with God, and the church, like as things happen, do I ever read scripture and then not put it into practice in the way that I look at the future of that lane? And I've, I realized that looking down those lanes, I was starting to root my conviction, not in the scripture, but I was rooting my conviction in what happened before. I was rooting my conviction in my expectations for what was coming next, and well, last time, well, this happened to this person, and I see this as a common trend, or statistically, this is what should happen. And I wasn't rooting myself in the hope that the scriptures provide. I was rooting myself in, well, this is just what happened, and this is just what I'm used to, so cut that lane off. God can't move in that lane. Um, And I just just felt like, wow, I really want to rethink that. How can I be hopeful rooted in scripture as I look at my family, as I look at my own ability to grow, as I look at our church, you know, I started feeling like God was saying, why do you follow me if you don't think where I'm taking you is good? And I started, okay, like, let me really rein it back. Let me, let me remember that the word of God is, is worth celebrating because it's what gives me hope moving forward in my life. And I wanted to read a passage really quickly that I've decided to let encourage me. I just wrote it on the top of my planner. It's Psalms 143 verse 8, and it says, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way that I should go, for to you I entrust my life. And I pray that this passage written by our brother David, you know, written to give us encouragement, endurance, and all the other scriptures, I really pray that we can find hope rooted in scripture more than anything else. Amen. Amen, amen. Thanks so much, Toya. Hey, I married up, amen? 
Hey, there's some awesome girls out here. You know, you might get lucky if God's on your side. Anyway, so somehow I was on stage and I was corrected twice while on stage that it's Romans 15, not Romans 14. So, hey, I'm, I'm showing you how to be corrected in a good, healthy way, right? That's all right. Just don't send me an email about it. Okay, so it's Romans 15, 4 and 5, not 14. Um, so guys, this is a word of hope. It's also a word of life. It's a word of life. When you view the scriptures, this isn't supposed to first bring death into your life. It's supposed to bring life to the full into your life. This isn't a book to bring shame and condemnation, but it's a book to bring you joy and hope in life. And there's this passage in 119 that I love, and it says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me, what? Life. Do I remember when your life wasn't built off the Bible? And you tried to build your life off of your career or off of relationship or off of man's approval. And then, and then one step after another, you were beaten down by the world. And, but then when the scriptures came into, came into your life, it just lifted you up to show you what life was all about. Let us not be those men and women that believe God could bring life through this back then at our conversion. And not bring life to us now through this. I love this idea that, man, this brings us life. You know, in Matthew 4, this is where we're going to dig in uh, going forward if you want to flip over there. Uh, when Jesus, I love seeing how Jesus interacts with the Word of God. And I love seeing how Jesus interacts and uses the Scriptures in such a powerful way. And right here in Matthew 4, he actually talks about what you live or your life and how that's connected to the Word. So in Matthew 4, verse 1, it reads, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written. He doesn't, he doesn't come first from a place of, you know, well, this is my idea, this is my logic, this is my opinion, this is a leading thought of the day that I saw on ancient Israel Instagram, right? Like, but no, he says, it is written. Y'all didn't know there was an ancient Israel Instagram, did you? That's next week's teaching. We'll get to there. But he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so what do we see right here from Jesus? He goes, first off, he's going into wilderness and the desert to be tempted um, to, to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. How long have you fasted before? Jesus is a bad dude. I mean, I know Jesus is full of grace and Jesus is full of love. Sometimes I think we forget how strong and determined and a man of conviction Jesus is. Now, he's, a, he's a man of strength. He's a man of power. He's a man of intensity. What kind of man does it take to go without food and water for 40 days straight, over a month? Man, and of course, what does that also show? His reliance on the Spirit and on the Word of God. But what's he doing when he quotes this? He's re referencing Deuteronomy 8, right? He's referencing this time when Moses is reminding the Israelites when they went into the, the desert, when they went into the wilderness, and there was no food out there in the desert. And they literally had nothing to eat. Their life that's dependent upon food, they didn't have any. And so God came and he said in verse 3, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. Every morning they would wake up and there would be this bread on the ground. And it was just daily miracle of God sustaining their life. 
And they wouldn't collect more than what, than what they just need for that day. They would only collect what they need for the day. They would eat it. Then the next morning, they wake up not having any food. And their whole existence, their whole literal life substance had to be, is God going to follow through on his promise to bring manna every day? And, and what was God doing? He was teaching them that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen? You know, so what are we supposed to learn about this? Well, food, of course, brings life to us. And he's saying, well, just in the same way you need bread to live to bring life, you need the Word of God to bring life. You see, you can exist without the Word of God, but you can't truly live without the Word of God. You can't truly live without this. Yes, you can go through this life existing and experiencing different things, but true life, life to the full, authentic life, it's only possible through God. It's only possible through Him. Um, I, I tell guys whenever I sit down with them uh, for the first time, and you know, who are you? We're just getting to know each other. And I tell people that my job is to create spiritual leaders that make a difference in the world around them. Because I don't believe you can follow the greatest leader of all time in Jesus and not make a difference in the world around you. And then I tell them my other job is to help boys become men. Because in order to be a true man, you got to go to the creator of manhood. Last time I checked, God created manhood. He created womanhood. And if you want to find the strength and the courage and the passion of what it means to be a true man and a true woman, well, God can show you that. You don't ever find true life outside of God. But I love this analogy. I love this analogy of food. You know, there's so many diets out there. Anyone here like a big diet person, right? Like you got the keto diet. Any keto diet people? Any vegetarians out there? Vegetarians? Vegetarians? Any pescatarians? Any Whole30s? Whole30s? Whole 30s? Any I eat whatever I want diets? Any of those, right? Wow. Oh, okay. Okay. But you know what I've never heard? I, you know, when talk about food sustaining you and helping you have life, right? I've never heard someone go, I found the best diet. It's the Happy Meal diets. I never heard anyone do that. They say, you know what? McDonald's is the way to go. I think there's actually a documentary on how bad that is for you, right? Supersize me. Anyways, but I've never heard anyone go, you know what? Those chicken nuggets, those are going to make me thrive as a human. I, I'm looking to max out my, my physical stature. French, McDonald's french fries is the way to go. Like, that just doesn't happen. But the reality is sometimes when we, when we go to the Word of God, we, we don't go for the deep, fulfilling nutrition, the living water, the bread of life. And I have a question. Have your quiet times become more like happy meals than they are true meals to sustain your soul? I think some of us, man, we get in this, hey, it's the word of the day if I'm lucky. It's, man, I'm not going to spend deep time in the scriptures to go there for life. It's kind of just a checklist. Let me get the most inexpensive, convenient thing in my day for the Word of God and go on to better, bigger and better things. And we treat it like a happy meal. You guys know what I'm talking about? Let's not treat the scriptures like something that can barely take care of us. Let's go to it because it sustains life and we need it. You know, the, the, I love this quote. The world and the word are at war for your soul. And you are in the world every day. It is constantly forming you whether you realize it or not. So if you are not in God's word daily, who do you think is going to win? 
the word or the world. Every day when you go, it, it, the world is trying to show you what life is all about. Have you noticed? And I don't know what it is for you, but in my life, the world's saying, hey, life is all about what house you're in. Life is all about what your family looks like. Life is all about how much money you make. Life is all about people's approval. And the world's banging that into my head daily. And if I don't get into this to reorient me to what life is all about, I start getting pulled towards the world. And I know for me, I don't know about you, I'm always just one step away from destroying my life. And I need this daily to help me win that battle. Amen? We need to be in the Word daily. Uh, I love this other quote that uh, the main factor in daily times in the Bible is not discipline, it's humility. I don't know if you've ever felt this way where you're saying, hey, I, I, just, I really want to get my Word, but I'm just so busy. Or I really want to get my word, but I just, I, man, I, I'm just so lazy. Yeah, I don't like reading. I don't like, it's hard for me to wake up in the morning. You know, any of that kind of stuff. Have you been there? The thing, when I first read this years ago, I was so convicted. Because in terms of the Bible sustaining us just like food, I, I don't go too many days accidentally forgetting to eat. How about you? Now, I might miss a meal because I'm too, honestly, I really miss a meal because I'm too busy. I will cancel to eat food, right? But I might miss a meal because I'm, because I'm so busy, or I might miss breakfast because I slept in a little too late or something like that, but I'm not going to go a whole day without food. And it's not because I'm not that busy and, I'm not a real, and because I'm not lazy. It's because I know I need it. I know I can't get through this day without it. So I don't try to find time to eat. I make time in my life to eat. Getting in your word daily isn't just a discipline thing. It's a humility thing. If you know you need this, it won't be trying to find time for it. You'll make time to go here to feast from the word of God. Amen? So the word brings us life. The word brings us life. Um, and why does it bring us life? Why does it bring us uh, hope? Well, let's go into our last one here. Because it's a word of power. And the word brings us power. I don't know. I guess I'm a cheesy guy. I just love that picture. It makes me think like I'm Thor every time I pick up the Bible, right? But man, the word brings power. Remember, this is all about changing your perspective, right? Changing your perspective of how you view the word. And I, I asked, this is actually a part of this is from my second lesson I ever did at North River. So you might remember some of these questions, but I want to ask a question. Uh, I love asking guys I get with when I'm teaching them about the word, hey, if you were to describe the Bible as an animal, which one would you choose? Remember that? Remember that? Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what comes to your mind. Maybe tell the person next to you, what animal would you choose to describe the Bible? And tell the person next to you, what would you say? What would you say? Little, little chatter, little, little squid, a little snail, a, a little shark, any of that kind of stuff, right? I ask this all the time. I ask this all the time to guys, and I've gotten different answers. I knew I shouldn't have opened that up. I'm sorry. I ask this all the time. So these are some of the answers that I have heard, right? These are some of the answers I've heard. Where I've asked, hey, well, did anybody here say dog? Anybody say dog, right? Anybody say dog, a couple people? I've heard this, right? Well, hey, man, explain to me. If you were to describe the Bible as an animal, what would you say it is? And they would say, well, dude, the Bible's like a dog. Oh, oh, great, man. Like, why is the Bible like a dog? Well, because it's loyal. It'll follow you everywhere. It's always there with you. But then you can shoo it away when you're tired of it. Oh, oh, 
All right. You know, another, another conversation. I'm sure, Noel, raise your hand. I'm sure it's not what Noel was thinking. You know, I just, but uh, another conversation was, hey, if you describe the Bible as an animal, what would it be? They said an owl. I said, oh, all right, like a lollipop? You know, what do you mean like owl? You know, and, and said, well, the Bible is really wise. Like it's usually the owl's kind of the, the animal of wisdom and it knows a lot, but then it's kind of lofty. It's hard to find the owl. You know, it's kind of hard to understand sometimes. Said, oh, okay, interesting, interesting. Another guy asked, um, hey, if you were to describe the Bible as an animal, what would you say it is? And this brother said, a goldfish. I was like, a goldfish? Dude, you got it. That makes so much sense. Not really, bro. Explain that to me. And he says, well, dude, you know, honestly, a goldfish, you know, you kind of go and you feed it, and then you kind of look at it, tap the glass, whatever, but then you just leave it on the shelf, walk away, and forget about it. I said, dude, that's real. That's real. And if that's how we perceive the Bible, how do you think we're going to let it affect us in our lives? The way you perceive it matters. Let's talk about the Bible of power. We'll come back to this question in a minute. In Matthew 4, verse 5, let's continue with this passage. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And he continues in verse 6, or verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Okay, we got Jesus for Satan right here. This is a, this is a lot bigger than a UGA versus Florida or Alabama. This is a lot bigger than the Falcons versus the Saints. This is the greatest battle, the greatest war of all time. And, and if you think about it, Satan's coming to him again and again and again. I, this is one of those moments where up in heaven, I want to say, hey, Jesus, can I watch the tapes and spiritual version of this fight right here? Because all we got is the words going back and forth. But I can only imagine, if you put on those spiritual goggles, what was happening in the spiritual realm as Jesus for Satan were going at it right here. What if Jesus lost? I mean, he became fully man. What if, he, what if he gave in to temptation instead of being tempted in every way and not going into sin? What if he lost? What would have happened? Jesus needed to win this battle right here. And I think we can learn from this because of how big the battle is. There's this other quote. In the most important battle of all time, Jesus for Satan, Jesus used the word of God to defend himself. What does that show you about how Jesus views the scriptures? When in the moment where he had to win, where he had to, to, to get against Satan and, and, and really step forward, that, that crucifying moment right there, he didn't call down some celestial being from heaven. He didn't kind of design his own infinity gauntlet and snap and all existence just cease to exist. Instead, he picked up the word of God and he used this to fight against Satan. What does that show us about what the true version of this is. No, this isn't some goldfish. 
This isn't some like little dog that you can shoo away. It's not some owl that you barely understand. No, the word of God is a lion. It's a lion on fire. Kiki went, that's what we said. <laughs> it's a lion on fire, right? The word of God is a lion. It is powerful. It is mighty. It is strong. We know the passages like in Hebrews 4 that the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, cutting between joints and marrow, soul and spirit. All, all, in all creation, everything is laid bare before this. I mean, the, the Bible is the king of the jungle. And it's not just some power that is to be afraid of. Imagine more a lion that's a best friend. Imagine Aslan, right? Imagine Aslan. Imagine going on a walk, like, you know, we go on walks with my kids, and imagine, hey, hey boys, we're going to go on a walk, grab the stroller, grab your little bike, and hey, grab the line out of back, we're going to go on a little walk. And you're just walking through your neighborhood or walking through the city with a line. And imagine going, dude, I feel pretty safe. I'm going to go down to the streets of Atlanta at 2 a.m. and rave around hundreds of my line and see if anyone dares fights me. Like, if the power was on your side, how amazing that is. But I want to go down this analogy for a second about the Bible being powerful like a lion. You know, lions don't usually fly solo. They usually go in prides, right? You know, like these guys right here. I don't know why they're in the snow, but hey, there you go. Imagine this pack, imagine this pride walk through those doors right now. And they viewed us like Happy Meals. And they attacked. And imagine just for a moment that they attacked and, and everyone died and you were one of the only few people. This is getting really gruesome, but one of the, you're one of the only few people that made it out, Right? Would your life ever be the same? No, right? One, you might not have an arm, right? But you, it's just my life flashed before my eyes. I was saved for a reason. I realized what life is all about. I'm going to change my life to, to give to this world. I was kept alive for a reason. Like Moments like that would change you. What's the connection? You can't come into contact with something as powerful as a lion and it not change you. You can't come into contact with something that powerful and it not change you. But have you ever seen a lion on TV or at the zoo in Atlanta? Did that change you? No, right? Like a lion behind bars, this isn't the zoo in Atlanta, but a lion behind bars, that, that hasn't changed me. I've seen a lion on safari, that, that didn't change me. What's the difference when I'm at the zoo in Atlanta and I see the lions in the enclosure? Has the power been removed from the lions? Well, no, right? Like unless you kill it, it, it the, the power is still there. The power is just caged away from me. Because if you got in that enclosure down in the zoo, that ain't about to be no tame lion. And that would change you. So what's the connection here? You can't take the power out of a lion, but you can cage its power away from you. Let me tell you something, guys. You cannot take the power out of the Word of God. This is straight from God. God spoke. His words, let there be light, created known existence. And, and His words are encapsulated in here. Jesus uses to fight off Satan. It is that powerful. There's millions of books in the Library of Congress, but only one was written by the hand of God. You can't take the power out of this, but what you can do is you can cage it away from you. You can't take the power out of the Word of God, but you can cage its power away from your heart. You can let, not let its power have an effect in your life. You guys following me? Do the scriptures still have power in your life? Or has this power been caged? 
When was the last time you got in your own daily quiet times, like not from a podcast, not from a sermon, not from talking with a friend? When was the last time it was just you and the scriptures? And you were just you and the scriptures and you got so inspired and so convicted that its power changed your life. Not, not just in a small way, but in a way that people can notice. Dude, what happened? Well, it was just because of my quiet time the other day. When was the last time that changed? Or, or was the word just powerful enough to convert you and make you radical for a couple years, but not powerful enough to make you radical now? Does this still have power in your life? You know, I'm scared. We've grown accustomed, some of us have grown accustomed to mediocre Christianity. Where some of us are letting the world decide what Christianity uh, is more than the Word of God decide what Christianity is. I think some of us walk around saying we believe in the Word, but nobody can really tell. Some of us are walking around saying we believe in its power, but our lifestyle looks a lot more like an atheist than it does someone that's controlled by the power of the Word of God. you got to wrestle. Do you let it have power in your life? I know for me, how, you know, in the way that I can see God's power isn't in the things that are natural for me, it's in the things that are not natural for me. So for instance, naturally, I'm a very grateful person. Like, I was blessed to have parents that instilled gratitude into my life. And so when I read scriptures about gratitude, it's like kind of amen. You know, I still need to grow always, but I, I got that one, right? And that, the word, the power there doesn't seem as, as needed. But then when I talk about my selfishness, and I'm naturally a very selfish man, and I naturally give into what I want more than what other people need, man, that's when I figure out, does the word have power or not? It's in the areas that are not natural to me. Um, and for me, it, my selfishness comes out a lot, uh, mainly in the home and with my wife. And hey, brothers, there's some amazing wives we got, for those of us that are married, right? That uh, I don't know how you put up with us, but praise God, there is miracles in this world and all that kind of stuff. But man, at home, my selfishness can be as big as something as when I'm tired, how do I treat her? Or as small as when I'm tired at the end of the night, am I going to do the dishes or not? And we're talking about dishes on a Sunday morning. Look at us right there. But man, that's where it can really come out. And in those moments, is the word going to transform me to be selfless and responsible and to care about Toya's needs more than my own and to be considerate instead of what I want to do personally or not? Does this make sense? Do you let the Bible have full reign in your life? Or have you said you can control this and it can change that and it can, it can completely transform that, but this thing right here, nah, I'm going to keep doing this one my way. you got to let the Bible have full power in your life. Amen? Don't cage the scriptures away from you. Don't cage the word of God away from you. Let it transform you and it's going to bring you to hope that's going to bring you to life. Amen? So here we actually got a treat. Um, Billy Tollett's about to come up and speak. And uh, Billy is actually going to be sharing his story of how the Bible was uncaged in his life and how the scriptures, when it really uh, got transformed and let him really change in the way the Bible had power in his life. So guys, get up for Billy as he comes up and shares his conversion story. Gave me the mic. Uh-oh. Kind of feel like maybe uh, Latoya married up. Um, Not true. Not true. 
Uh, actually, Jordan uh, graduated from Georgia Tech as an engineer. It's true. Uh, left that career uh, for the ministry. And I just want to thank you for that, bro. Amen. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the leadership here has, has done a, a lot of amazing things. You know, Jeff graduated from the best school in New Jersey, Rutgers University, <laughs> and also had a very successful career uh, before he joined the ministry as well. Right, Jeff? <laughs> uh, Je Jeff actually graduated from Princeton University. Um, they asked me to, to share my story this morning, and uh, I was very happy to have that opportunity. Uh, and, and as I do that, I want you to kind of think about my story as my faith. Stories to me are kind of read at bedtime. Uh, and my story, a story has kind of a beginning, a middle, and an end. And my story's not quite over, hopefully. <laughs> Uh, and so I want to share my faith with you here this morning. Uh, about uh, 1993, I guess that was, uh, was that 20 years ago? 30. That's, uh, it's hard, hard to keep up. Hard to keep up. Getting up there. Uh, I had... Uh, received a scholarship to Rutgers University. That's where I went to school, <laughs> not Princeton. They wouldn't let me in. Um, played football there, had a, a lot of dreams and a lot of goals, and they were all cut short one spring afternoon when my roommate and I got into a big argument. And uh, the result of that argument actually led to my uh, suspension and termination uh, of, uh, and the loss of my scholarship. And so my, uh, my journey took a, quite, a, quite a detour. Because, you know, you, uh, your identity is kind of wrapped up into something and that's taken away from you. What happens? You, you, you lose so much, right? And I, I just want to really thank Nanan, while I'm at it, yesterday for sharing uh, last week for what she mm -hmm. shared, her faith. It's just mm -hmm. very inspiring. Uh, and, I, and I related to her a lot as she shared her faith. And <clears throat> I was brought back to my hometown and was working with my father, uh, which was uh, quite, quite a change, being on campus and playing football to working with your dad. Uh, very, very humbling. Got into some trouble, some more trouble. I was a little bit of a troublemaker, in case if you were wondering. I got into some trouble at home and my parents actually asked me to leave. So I, I went even further down into, into the depths. So I had a little apartment and uh, wasn't, wasn't welcome in my own home. And uh, just really, really spiraling out of control. And I remember thinking, There's, somebody's got to save me. Somebody's got to help me here. And I couldn't do it. 
Couldn't do it. Nobody, no, none of my friends, none of my family, teammates, coaches uh, could do it. And I just remember thinking, just because my coach told me, he said, if you, if you keep your nose clean and you stay out of trouble, you can get your scholarship back. I'll, I'll, I'll get you back in school. So long story short, I, I did just enough to be able to get back in to Rutgers and get my scholarship back. And so my dad and I are moving in and we go to the housing authority and uh, I, wanted, I didn't want to live with, with football players anymore. That, that, that didn't work right, the last time. I wanted just to, to have a, a single bedroom. And so I go to pick up my key, pick up my key, I pick up my folder. I'll never forget this moment in my life. They said, wait, 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 that's actually the wrong apartment. That's the wrong folder here, give us back. And so they, they gave me a different key. And I said, okay, great, thanks. You know, they said, no, this is the kid that, you know, blah, 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 you know, he's a, he's a football player. He gets, his, he, gets, uh, he gets his own bedroom. And they were kind of teasing me and making fun of me. <laughs> and uh, so I go, to, I go to move in, got my TV, I got my, all my stuff, and we're moving in, and some, some guy opens the door for me to walk in, and he goes, hey, my name's Elvin. They call me E. So my dad said, they call him E? Who is this? <laughs> I told you, I'll never forget this day. Elvin lived directly across the hall from me. And he was a, he was this, he was a disciple. And uh, one of my best friends, Dennis McCormick, was a, was a disciple too on the football team. And our first team meeting we went to, Dennis stood up and invited the whole team out to a Bible talk. And he was, he was sitting right in front of me, so he stands up and he turns around and in front of 120 young men just invites everybody out to a Bible discussion about Jesus. And I just, I was like, who is this kid? And so I came home and guess who was in Elvin's room? Dennis. So one of my teammates was hanging out with Elvin Elvin and Dennis uh, were asking me to study the Bible and just trying to be my friend. Long story short, because I'm, I'm running out of time here. Uh, the Rutgers Campus Ministry had a campus Sunday that was actually like literally right outside my dorm. Like you could walk across the street, go into the student center, and, and um, we had a, uh, that was my first uh, Sunday service. And uh, Robert Carrillo was preaching, uh, and it was actually a Valentine's Day. It was, it was uh, look, look it up, at 1999, uh, February 24th, happened to be a, a Valentine's Day. And uh, Robert preached about love. He preached about God's love. He preached about Jesus' love and how we were to love one another. And I just, I just hooked right on. And um, the story continues. But I, I want to encourage all of us, as we think about our stories, it, it's, it's replace the word story with faith, right? When you read the Bible, do you read the Bible for the stories? Or do you read the Bible for faith, right? The stories aren't what do it for us. And even my story. The star of my story isn't me. It's God. Amen. 
is Jesus, Amen. right? That cosmic moment that occurred when Jesus was crucified. That's the story, right? Amen. And that's where we get our faith. And Jordan, thank you so much for really talking about that this morning, yeah. about the terminology of the Bible and the Bible being caged, right? When you walk around, when you're living your life, remember that you're not just a story, but that you have a really deep, true faith. And Peter describes and defines what faith is. It's the most valuable thing that we have here That's on right. earth. That's right. So I just want to leave you guys with that, and thank you so much for the opportunity to share my faith. Amen. Come on, Billy. Amen, amen. So guys, we're about to take communion right here. Thank you so much, Billy, for sharing your faith. And guys, one of the big things we want everyone to take away with when we're sharing our stories and sharing our faith this next uh, you know, couple months every week is if God did it once, he can do it again. And if God can convert Billy once, well, he can convert your neighbor now. And that's what we want to take away is that faith. We don't have time to go into some practicals, but I encourage everyone Get a scripture bank for, you know, the word of God. Talk about the word in fellowship. These are different kind of disciplines to do in your scripture times to go deeper in the word. I'm not going to walk through it for time's sake. But for communion that we're about to take, I just want to remind everyone what John 1 says is that the word became flesh. And when we remember Jesus right now and as we take communion, let's remember the word that became flesh and that Jesus is full of hope and Jesus is full of life. And Jesus is full of power. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for giving it to us, God, and not uh, just giving it to us to shame us or condemn us, but to bring us to hope, bring us to life, and for giving us power. We know this is only possible through Jesus, Father, and as we contemplate on our stories and on our faith, I pray that we can remember that if you did it once, you can do it again. And God, as we sit down right now, we as a church, as a body, as a fellowship, as we take the bread, as we take the juice, we remember Jesus. We remember his life, and we remember him crucified, and we remember him resurrected by power. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.